Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. My guest today is Robert Santana. Robert is a registered dietitian, starting strength coach, and the owner and founder of Weights and Plates Strength and Nutrition Center in Phoenix, Arizona. And I wanted to have him on today to talk about uh, the nutrition linear progression. So, um, you know, we've got a, a lot of different topics on the podcast. Nutrition seems to be one of the most important ones. Everybody has questions about nutrition, about how much to eat, when to eat, all the, all these different things. And, you know, you, you type in strength training and nutrition online and a plethora of stuff comes out. I mean, it's just like, it's the, probably the biggest of all rabbit holes. And, uh, what Robert has developed is something called the nutrition linear progression, which kind of takes all of these, a very, what looks like it should be, uh, you know, something easy to understand that people have made it very complex and he's broken it down for people to understand and do almost like a step-by-step process. So I think that's very valuable, especially for, for people listening to this, this podcast and anybody who is exercising in general, but in particular weightlifting. So Robert, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Tell people um, who aren't familiar with you and what you do a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, weights and plates, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm Robert Santana. As uh, you've already said, you've introduced my name. I am a registered dietitian, and I am a strength coach, um, a starting strength coach. That is a credential that's attached to the book, Starting Strength. It's based on the content written in that book. Um, and I hold that credential with uh, a lot of pride because it taught me a lot about lifting and basically taught me that I spent 15 years doing it wrong. So um, very valuable. So just a little bit about me. I was a high school swimmer. Then I graduated high school, got into fitness literature through men's fitness, men's health, bodybuilding.com, all the usual suspects of the early 2000s. Yep. And just started following little magazine programs, webs, you know, um, internet article programs, you know, Arnold's encyclopedia, modern bodybuilding, all that, all that stuff that was popular back then. And I did that for about, I want to say 10, 11 years. And in the last three years, I started keeping a training log and this would have been from 2009 to 2012 ish or yeah, 2009, 2012, 2013. And I started looking back through it and saw that I was not making any progress. The numbers were the same year to year, which was kind of enlightening. It was good to keep data. It taught me the value of that. And Mm -hmm. it was at that point that I started seeking additional information and, uh, a couple of things happened. So number one, I kept tweaking my neck doing overhead work. So I was looking for uh, technical instruction on that particular lift. And I was introduced to Mark Ripito's videos back when he was doing them for CrossFit. And I liked the way he explained it. And I kind of started watching the videos on the technique. And at the same time, I was seeking a program that was more in line with the one he had. I just didn't know he had one at the time. So long story short, I found the starting strength website, followed the program, injured myself, learned that I didn't know what I was doing after being in the gym for 15 years, uh, hired a starting strength coach and learned how to do it correctly. And, uh, you know, got really into barbell training, ended up becoming a, uh, a coach myself and teaching others how to do that, um, much better than I was prior to that. So I've always been avid with the barbell lifts, except I didn't do all of them. I benched, I squatted and, uh, I did uh, pull-ups. I didn't clean. I didn't deadlift because I thought deadlift was a low back exercise. because I was doing it wrong. <laughs> right. Right. All right. <laughs> so I'm like, what's the point of that? It's just going to work my low back. So anyways, from the nutrition side, I've always been good at like gaining or losing weight. Um, 
as far back as I was 18. I'm, I'm not naturally skinny. I'm not naturally really fat, so I can gain weight. I can lose weight. I just have a hard time building muscle. Um, so, you know, I went and got a, you know, a bachelor's in dietetics, got a master's in kinesiology, uh, passed my RD exam over 10 years ago. And uh, I'm currently doing a PhD in nursing and healthcare innovation. I am not an RN and I'm not pursuing a nursing related field. It was, this is a more broad interdisciplinary um, doctorate with lots of different people in the healthcare industry, uh, just studying the research on their respective topics. So a lot of the stuff that my advisor is looking at is just environmental stuff with uh, diet and exercise, the food oh, environment, wow. the physical activity environment. Don't see myself going into academia, but I think that in the current, uh, the current landscape of the fitness and diet industry is such that everybody thinks they're a scientist. Everybody wants to cite peer reviewed journals. Everybody wants to claim to be a scientist because they have a doctorate and have published a couple articles. And you get a lot of questions about this from, from clients. So um, it's my goal to kind of dilute a lot of that information and focus on what's important. And that kind of ties back into why you had me here today. Um, a yeah. lot of my approach to diet is taking all that complexity and kind of simplifying it for the average person, at least that's the goal. And I think I doing an okay job of that. You know, some people might say great. Some people might say not so great. You know? <laughs> I don't know. You know, you're always have a bias towards yourself. So I, sure. that's, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, it's like you got all this information, but what do people really need to know? So that, that's, I'm going to cycle back to one thing. Do you remember who your first starting strength coach was, who that you, who, who you hired? Oh, that would have been the legendary Paul Horn. Oh, you did. Okay. Yes, you know yes. what? Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's why you kind of give him some, some crap every once in a while, I assume. Yes. Yes. He's the legend. <laughs> he was, this was back at house of Horn when he was training in his garage and okay. uh, I saw him open up the gym uh, within a year. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, he's a good guy. Yeah, he is. And for people who don't know Paul Horn, um, I don't know him personally, but I, I you know, followed um, him closely on social media and things like that. So I can link all of his info in the show notes. But so, yeah, he's up in, uh, I think I just saw a post saying he's going to run starting strength Idaho. He's going to be the head coach there. Oh, so he's moving then. I, I believe that's what it looks like. I don't think he's driving there from Westchester. So, okay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it looks like he's going to be over there. So that's cool. I know he wanted to, he was looking into, possibly relocating. So, okay. Well, congrats, Paul. Yeah. So Robert, tell us, tell us a little bit about, so you've developed this, this philosophy, um, this, these principles, why did you feel it necessary to develop something? What, what did you see over the years of working with people that led you to start the nutritional nutrition linear progression? Well, it's, it really ties back to a bigger problem. Um, just in general, um, in today's society. And it's that we've gotten very good at, you know, keeping records of things and technologies improve such that you can, um, investigate certain research questions or questions of any kind. And we've reached a point now where every topic, uh, has been researched at an academic level. And there's lots of academic arguments for lots of various topics, including the ones we're going to talk about today. And, one of the negative side effects of this is that the average person is now left confused because they're inundated with all this information and a lot of um, a lot of the information that is used for prescriptive purposes tends to be academic in nature and not line up with the challenges that a person might face. And I, I see this across 
all sorts of fields. So first, you know, I addressed it with training. Like I read so much stuff in magazines, in websites, in forums. And then later on, I got a master's degree in kinesiology and read the peer-reviewed literature on the topic. And when I started working with customers, I kept getting questions about the nuances of training, such as, oh, do I do high reps or low reps or low bar squat versus high bar squat or hypertrophy versus strength, or I don't have to be strong to get big and like all sorts right. of these academic questions that I think the vast majority of consumers need not concern themselves with. I mean, you got guys that walk in and, you know, they, they can barely bench 135 for a set of five. I mean, oftentimes a novice that I get that's either underweight or really skinny fat might start with a hundred pounds. And he thinks he needs to do volume because, you know, hypertrophy, bro, you know, and uh, for your listeners that don't know what that means, hypertrophy is the enlargement of muscle fibers. I'm sure you've covered it in a previous podcast, but I make no assumptions. Um, and, you know, you have this dogma now that, hey, I got to just do a bunch of work and, you know, get a pump to get bigger, despite the fact that, you know, you're benching less than body weight or squatting less than body weight, whatever the lift is. So light weights for reps has become um, incorrectly assumed to be the, you know, the key to getting bigger. And the same thing has happened with diet. So with nutrition, I get similar questions. Oh, should it be low carb? Should it be high carb? Should it be low calories? But this guy said paleo and this guy's talking about organic and this guy's got the inflammatory diet and this guy's got the blood type diet. And when you like sit there and try to deconstruct all these different things, you run into a couple of problems. Number one, we have no, and I, I, I shouldn't say zero, but like maybe 1% of the data that we've collected on nutrition, and that's anecdotal data, peer-reviewed data is useful from the sense that we've actually measured something that we can extrapolate, right? So if you kind of look at how nutrition is researched, the majority of the research is on self-reported data. And then if you go to anecdotal evidence, that's also self-reported. So I really don't see the difference between, hey, a coach is working with a group of people who tell them what they, what, what they eat, or the scientist is working with a group of people who tell him what they eat. I mean, you're kind of using the same instrument to collect data. So if you don't know what's going in, you have no idea what's going on. That's kind of how I like to put it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you kind of like try to deconstruct all these diets, you kind of see a theme here. And that's that number one, there's no valid measurement instrument included in any of these quote unquote studies or, you know, uh, anecdotal reports, you know, you'll, you'll, just, you'll just have people saying that they followed this and got X result or Y result. And then you try to prescribe it to somebody else and they go completely crazy because it doesn't work for them, you know, or you'll see a lot of, well, you know, I went on keto and I feel great, you know, and I feel great. And it's like, well, what, sure. were, you, what were you eating before that? Well, I was drinking, you know, drinking a case of Cokes a day and eating McDonald's. Well, okay, anything is going to make you feel great. Just yeah. like, you know, in the book, Starting Strength, Rip says, if you ride a bike, your squat's going to go up because anything's going to work when you're completely unadapted, right? So this kind of motivated me because I've seen through my own experiences as a dieter, I guess, since we're talking about nutrition as a dieter and my own experiences as a coach, that more often than not, most of these nuances don't apply to the average person. The average person is living in a toxic food environment. I don't think anybody will argue that, you know, you, you have more food available to you now than probably any time in history and it's everywhere. And, you know, if you go to, let's say a gas station and pump gas and you try to get something, most of the stuff there is calorically dense is high in fat, high in sugar. 
And, you know, you could go into all the, you know, little nuances of these nutrients and say, oh, well, you know, saturated fats linked to heart disease, sugars linked to diabetes. But at the end of the day, you just don't have very many good options, no matter where you go, unless you educate yourself and, you know, kind of show a little bit of restraint and, you know, make cho- make calculated choices and then eventually turn those things into habits that you don't really have to think about. And this is probably the number one problem that most people face, not whether they're eating organic versus non-organic food or they're eating low sugar versus low fat. Like these aren't the problems. Right. I put I put people on a variety of different diets. And at the end of the day, you have a consistency problem. You know, you'll they'll follow the diet for a period of time and they'll go over because they'll be at a social event. They'll be at a bar. They'll be at a gas station. They'll be traveling. And the easiest thing to get is a calorically concentrated food, like a candy bar or a donut or a hamburger with French fries or whatever, you know, but the thing is that I feel like the habits don't get as much attention as they should. And, uh, the nutrients aren't prioritized correctly. The priorities are off. People want to focus on the minutia. Like I had a girl I was training recently who, uh, you know, she's naturally lean and she wanted to do this is actually my girlfriend. Good, good example. She has a first world problem. She's naturally Careful. lean. Careful. She, she knows. She knows. <laughs> um, she's naturally lean. So she walks around with visible abs, but thought that, you know, hey, I want to compete in a physique uh, competition, a bikini, right? And they are supposed to be less muscular. And, you know, I have my whole problem with that. I'm like, okay, it's a bikini show, but you're obsessed with deltoids. I'm like, so I don't know when that became the standard because I thought that was figure or physique or I don't even know. I don't like these sports really, but she wanted to do it because she was built for it. Probably 10 years ago, she would have won five years ago. She would have won, but now they want them to look like little mini bodybuilders. So it is what it is. Anyhow, um, you know, I, I, she tried to train the way that they train and she lost muscle as a result. And I ended up taking it back over. She put the muscle back on, but at the end of the day, she just had a hard time dieting down because it's hard to be motivated when you already look good. And, uh, then she kept doing what all the clients do. And I was laughing at her because she also diet coaches. She's like, well, what if I just, you know, do more lateral raises or do more pressing or do more this or more that? I'm like, you're not doing the diet part. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you can try to like escape all these things and right. just focus on these little things that, you know, your coaches might be talking to you about. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're trying to get that lean, you essentially have to starve. And that's like a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. But um, it goes back to the bigger problem. I find that a lot of clients, a lot of prospective clients or people that I talk to like to focus on this minutia and all these little nuances to avoid the bigger picture problem. That's that, you know, one way or another, they're eating too much, you know, if, if, if the goal yeah. is loss and if their goal is weight gain, I run into a similar problem. These guys aren't eating enough. They tend to hate eating. <laughs> and I always discover that through, you know, careful interviewing. It's like, Oh, I ate, I ate so much. I just slammed so much food. And they'll like do that, like for one meal or they'll do that maybe one day a week. But then when you hold them accountable to like a consistent heavy eating schedule, you run into the same thing. They're just not eating enough, but then they'll say, Oh, should I take this supplement? Should I take creatine? You know? <laughs> right, right, right. You're eating, you're eating a 1500 calorie meal and then you're eating nothing the rest of the day. So yeah, you ate a lot for that one meal, but you need like 5,000. So you had to do that like five times. And then when they have to do that, they hate it. <laughs> and same thing with the person who's losing, which is the more common uh, client. Most people that hire a diet coach want weight loss and uh, they'll do the same thing. They'll say, Oh, I followed the diet for six days. I just had like five glasses of wine on Saturday night, but you know, <laughs> why, why didn't I lose weight? You know, it wasn't that bad. It was only one day. <laughs> right. One day, but it's every, but it's the same day every single week for a month for six mm-hmm. months, for nine months. Right. Yeah. And you just reminded me, this is a very good piece of academic research. I remember when I was sitting in an obesity class, there was an article. I wish I knew the author because it was kind of a funny conclusion that 
you know, checks out with reality. That's the thing about research. You know, it's, academic research tends to be very rigorous, so it may not extrapolate into the real world. What I liked about this one was it kind of made sense. They were looking at holiday eating patterns and weight gain patterns. So I think the quality of research would not be considered top tier because it wasn't a randomized control trial, but they looked at how people would eat during the holidays, the weight would go up, and then they'd look at them the following holidays, and you'd see this increased trend in weight because they never take it back off afterwards. <laughs> sure. You know, you, you bring, up, bring up something else because earlier you said you couldn't see the difference between peer-reviewed and something like that a coach would um, talk to their clients about. I think the biggest uh, difference there is, and maybe you can attest to this, is that peer-reviewed articles, that's like that's safeguarded by the people who are um, who are, you know, have, have something at stake to advance their career. Whereas, you know, the coach is working with someone who is just trying to feel and look better. Like the, the biggest difference there, peer review doesn't mean that things can't be skewed one way or the other. Um, and I think you, you could agree to that. And I want to be uh, good. Go ahead. What I meant there was that, uh, they're both relying on self-report, right? Exactly. Neither yeah. is, neither is measuring intake. <laughs> And, and, and I think the thing that I was trying to, to basically say is why we see more of, you know, peer reviewed is because it's, they, 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 they go to a larger audience, but they're also not taking into consideration like yet yeah, the same people that you may work with might not be the same people that they, that they work with. I mean, there, there are going to be differences. So we can't say like this peer review journal says X, Y, or peer review, you know, paper or study. Exactly. Because the person who signs up for a research you know, study for, you know, yeah handful of, you know, for a few bucks and they don't pay these guys a lot of money, but somebody who signs up for a research study is either often not getting paid or getting paid a small amount. I mean, that takes a certain personality to do that, you know, exactly. You're kind of drawing, I argue from outliers because it's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to recruit them, most of the people you try to recruit don't want to do it. So you're getting a minority of people in a subset of the population. And then you're trying to extrapolate that. But the bigger problem there, and this is, I'm talking about with regards to nutrition research specifically, right, right, you're, you're trying to draw conclusions from something that you can't even measure. I mean, I went to a conference once, an academic conference. There was a statistician there, and he's written on this topic um, various times, public health related topics, and he was talking about how you know self-reported physical activity and self-reported diet research is completely skewed. And I forgot how they kind of came up with their numbers, but I mean, it's obvious nobody's disputing this, you know, they might not be exact, but it's pretty clear that, you know, people are under over reporting certain things and his closing comments. I'll never forget. He says, he shows a graph and he shows all the NHANES data with, you know, Oh, in the eighties, you know, they started recommending low fat and then people started eating more carbs and people started gaining weight. And then he just kind of goes into why uh, it's completely off, you know? And at the end he closes his, talk by saying this is an example of when something is not better than nothing and until we have a meaningful way to measure this we should just not even bother measuring it at all or reporting it at all because it's basically huh. junk data interesting <laughs> you know i mean i mean as i can understand as a practitioner you got to get something so you'll talk to them you'll ask them questions you'll interview but to sit there and report it as science when yeah, you know, you know, you know, you're not measuring anything, and the, the, I'd argue that a coach might even get better information than a scientist. Yeah, the, they have a relationship with the client, you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, and I think that is kind of where I was going. It, mm-hmm. It's the people, like you know, you've got. You say you get however many people might be in one of those studies, a hundred people, 
um, that the person has no relationship with. All I want you to do is come in and hand in this, this sheet of paper every month or every week with what you had to eat. It's the same thing with exercise. I mean, a lot of the exercise um, studies out there now are not based on they're in a very specific, um, uh, well, I don't, well, let's not even go down that road because we're not talking about strength training right now, but they hand in, they hand in like their, their food log mm-hmm. and that person has zero connection to the person doing the review doing the publishing. So after a month or even less, it's like, ah, you know what? I'm not even going to do this anymore. I'm not really getting anything out of it anyway. But mm-hmm. when you see the person three, two to three times a week and you have a relationship with that person, no matter if they're going to continue to do it or not, because I have a lot of people who will hand in a food log and they realize, you know, the details that go into it, or they realize, oh my gosh, you know, maybe I'm not eating as good as I thought I would. Like that might be all it takes for them to, to make a change, but at least you still maintain the relationship. And so right. they hand that in to me, even if they lie, which 90% of the time they probably will, mm-hmm. even if they lie, you're still making the connection. Whereas in, you know, this, the study group, and I'm not saying every single one's like that, but you know, more than likely you're, you're not getting the, the full picture. So um, that's all I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, when I worked in, di- I was a clinical dietitian in dialysis and uh, you know, these people had certain diet restrictions to, you know, try and control their lab values. And I had a guy once that, you know, he seemed pretty committed and I got the sense that, you know, he was doing what he had to do and he did have some pathophysiology going on. that was driving his, uh, phosphorus levels up without getting into the details of all that, the pathophys and the medical mm. nutrition therapy of, you know, kidney failure. Um, one day after working with him for a couple of years at this point, the, uh, technician tells us, Oh, you know, by the way, he's putting bean juice on his rice. <laughs> and oh. for those of you who don't know, beans are high in phosphorus and dialysis patients need to not eat a lot of phosphorus and they take pills to absorb all that. So beans are like one of the things they just can't anti potassium too. They also need to be restricting that. They have to restrict a lot of things, but beans are like one of those, the most taboo foods for a dialysis patient. And the guy was not eating them, but he was pouring the juice on his food and he was getting all this extra electrolyte from that. And I'm like, dude, like that's when I kind of learned. I'm like, they tell the guy who's not the dietitian more about their diet than the guy who's a dietitian. People are inclined to lie about their food. That's right. One reason. That's right. You know, that's exactly right. Yeah, I do. So you're taking this thing that people are inclined to lie about, and then you're collecting data with very minimal rapport with the right. person. And then Bingo. you're reporting on that data saying this diet causes this, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly right. That's right. And then, you know, the men's fitness is getting it, you know, oversimplifying it. And then I get a question from a client saying, Oh, I heard that, you know, beans are inflammatory. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I got to dig myself out of that, but because yeah you're not because you're not in uh, men's health or men's fitness, then, you know, you don't yeah. have the, you don't have the big appeal. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's, uh, let's get, I'm going to dig us back out of the weeds because mm-hmm. I think it's very important to, so you kind of establish like why that's basically the, why you establish the LP. So in, in a, another sense, what is exactly the LP, the nutrition LP, sorry, the nutrition linear progression. So this was developed uh, for, primarily for people that are barbell training and trying to get strong. Okay. And, uh, the general concepts apply to most people. Obviously you're going to have, you know, it's going to be a bell curve. You're going to have people that don't respond well to it and people that respond very well to it. And, you know, most people are going to do pretty well with this. Um, so I try to prioritize, I try to make nutrition priorities and rank them, you know, probably first to third, cause there's three big ones that we kind of cover here. Okay. And, uh, 
when I get a new client that just starts lifting, just starts exercising, the first thing I try to do is add, not subtract. So oftentimes people are eating too much of the wrong things, not enough of the right things. So first thing I like to add is protein. So anybody who's been to this, that would be priority number one in the nutrition LP. We need to get enough protein. So I think anybody who's been to a commercial gym or in a weight room has been told at one point or another, they need a ton of protein. And that's a whole, you know, you can argue that all day long. Um, what I will say about that is there's no uh, tolerable upper limit for protein. So you're not going to hurt yourself by eating, you know, some extra protein, even if you're not necessarily using it to big build, to build big biceps. <laughs> so right. get, you get academics that'll say, Oh, you know, you take protein powder. That's the world's most expensive urine. No, that's not true. You don't just pee it out and you use it for other things. There's lots and lots of proteins in the human body. If you're interested in the in a more diluted uh, version of the biochemistry there, I wrote an article on that on startingstrength.com as well as my own website. But, um, you know, your red blood cells have proteins, your nails, your uh, skin, your hair, uh, all, all your um, immunoglobulins for your immune system. There's lots of proteins in the human body. So that's, that's my point. But um, without, you know, kind of detracting here, you need to get enough protein if you're going to lift weights. Because if you're going to lift weights, your goal is to get stronger and build muscle, whether you know it or not. You might say, oh, I'm trying to look long and lean. That means building muscle. Trust me. That's right. You know, uh, I want to get toned. That means building muscle as well. Right. You know, if you don't yeah. want to build any muscle and you just want to look gaunt, you can go run marathons. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, marathon runners. Some of you look gaunt. And I understand you need to keep the weight down to compete. It's, you know, I'm just saying it how it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it is. I have no problem with a guy weighing 115 pounds if that's winning in marathons. You know, that's what you got to do. So, um, but the general population person that buys personal training typically wants to look like they lift weights, which means more muscular. Okay. So more protein. That's the first thing. And I find okay. that most people, whether they're lifting or not, don't eat enough protein. I mean, you'll read the academic literature that say, Oh, you know, protein intake's adequate. And that, that might be true. You know, they might be getting it from junk. It might not be from the best sources. So proteins are made up of amino acids. So if you're getting protein from eating bags and bags of potato chips, sure. You're getting enough to survive. Congratulations. It doesn't mean it's high quality. Right. Um, so I guess, to be more specific, I find that people aren't eating a lot of high quality protein. So if you're a person who eats animal products, you're not eating a lot of lean meats. You know, if you're a vegetarian, you're probably not balancing out your different uh, plant-based foods to get enough protein. Um, or they don't get enough total grams of protein. It's a whole nother subtopic, but you know, plant-based dieting is popular right now. I have clients that are doing that and it has its own challenges, but let's assume that you don't have any diet restrictions. I find that uh, getting enough protein from animal products is a problem. And then also spreading it out reasonably even throughout the day is another challenge. So I try to address that first. Okay. So let's get enough protein. Protein rebuilds the muscles you've broken down at the gym. It also keeps you full. So you're satiated, not wanting to binge and eat and snack on crap all day. And uh, it helps balance your blood sugar out. It's a good diabetes preventive uh, technique. Um, so that's number one. So then from there, once we've established that a person is getting enough protein, and that's you know usually done through, it could take a week, could take two weeks, could take three weeks. It just really depends on the person. The complaint there is, oh, I'm too full. It's too much food, or I can't keep the fat down while eating enough protein. You know, so we'll work on that. So then we'll go to carbs next, and I want quality carbs. So. Right now, I deal with a lot of carb phobia. Yeah. So let's kind of address that first. Um, if you, the, the more 
difficult, I'll try to put this in normal terms, the more difficult an activity is, a physical activity um, is, the more you're going to rely on carbs. So lying down, sitting, not really moving, sure, you can you know, go on a keto diet and probably not feel very negative effects until you start you know, craving sugar because you haven't had it in a while. But uh, in terms of you know, having enough energy, you could be fine on a low-carb diet if you sit around all day. Um, you start running, you're going to burn more carbs. You start sprinting, you're going to burn even more carbs. You know, if you start lifting weights, you're going to burn more carbs. And that's more of a cumulative effect. So people hire me are active. You know, they're either lifting or they're doing some sort of conditioning. Even if you're not training to, you know, push your absolute limits, if you're doing vigorous activity, you need some level of carbs. The more vigorous it is, the, it tends, you tend to need more. Um, so then where those carbs come from? Um, typically I want fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, legumes also have a lot of protein in them as well. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone there, but I try to get some high quality carbs in the diet. And then I'll also talk to the client about carbs around workouts because they, you tend to do better in your workouts. If you eat carbs before, after, during, sometimes I'm not yeah. really big on during, unless you're very low in, uh, in calories for whatever reason, or you have like a three hour workout ahead. Yeah, if you're there for four right. hours, you know, I had a guy right. who had to drink a liter of tang while he squatted, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, you got like 20 minute breaks in between uh, squat, squat sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. you know, it's context dependent. Um, sure. So, we try to address that. And then the last thing we address is, you know, fat. So, okay, well, you know, what kind of meats are you eating? Okay, let's, you know, okay. go from the ribeye to the sirloin, you know, let's go, let's do one egg or two eggs and some egg whites to fill out that protein without having too much fat. So, you know, protein with, fat tends to be another challenge. So I either address it in the beginning or I address it at the end. Just depends on what the person's having more problems with. If they're not getting enough protein, we'll deal with the fat later. Let's just get them in the habit of eating enough protein. Okay. Um, so that's where I'll start trying to like pull stuff out. Okay. Like, you know, spray your pan, you know, don't use oil. Uh, try to, you know, measure your peanut butter, at least in the beginning. So you can kind of see that, Hey, your you know, tablespoon of peanut butter is not very much. I, I like telling people to put it on the scale at the beginning because when they scoop it with a spoon, we're all going to cheat. We're going to try and like make it overflow over the spoon and say, Oh, I just had a tablespoon. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> yeah, why cool. else? The most, the most aggressive cut I went on where I got really super lean. That was what at the end I started weighing the peanut butter. I'm like, Oh my God, I've been totally cheating this. And it, was, <laughs> it was very sad and depressive, but depressing. <laughs> so I just, I stopped doing it at the end because I I'm like, yeah, I can't regulate this anymore. But, um, I, I like that. I like to look at the scale as a food scale that is as training wheels. You know, you should weigh as much as you can so that you can kind of see what these things look like with the goal of not weighing it long-term. I mean, obviously we don't want to feel like we're in, you know, chem 101, you know, mixing a bunch of stuff together every single day. When we eat is just, it's just eating guys, you know? So right, exactly. we got, we got to keep it practical, but I think there's something to be said about doing that early on so that you could kind of see what you're dealing with here. So the, so let's go back and hit each uh, individual. So like we're, let's say each individual, um, priority. Mm -hmm. So we've got the protein, you know, a couple of weeks working on protein, a couple of weeks with carbs, you know, then you're kind of tackling the fat process because, you know, as you said, like it kind of depends on like how much protein you're going to be taking in. You can get a lot of those fats from the proteins on average. Let's take your, your general, um, you know, strength trainer at the gym, someone who's new and who is, who's starting to tackle the nutrition, what kind of recommendations for each of those categories are we looking at in terms of like grams, or maybe is there a, another way that you, you like to tell people to, uh, to, to uh, measure those, 
Intakes. I like, yeah, sure. I, I've come up with some ranges and, you know, I have articles on my website that kind of outline them and they're also on startingstrength.com. Okay. Um, typically with protein, I'd say um, the average male and I'm saying adult male, non-elderly, you know, 18 to 45 or whatever. Okay. Uh, about 150 to 250 grams of protein is a pretty good range for most guys of all different sizes. Um, you know, you could make an academic argument that, Oh, even 150, you don't need 150. Well, you know, like I said, more helps in other ways. You may, you may not need more than 150 to build muscle, but it helps in other ways. It helps keep you full. It helps build other proteins and it's some extra calories. You get a yeah. better glucose response. There's all these other benefits to it. So, you know, when you're, you know, professor turns around and says, Oh, you're just pissing all that out. It's pointless. I mean, it, the whole point is that it's not all being used to build muscle. There's multiple purposes to a high protein diet, multiple benefits. So about 150 to 250 for a man, about roughly a hundred, uh, you know, 100 to 200 for a woman, usually okay. more like 100 to 175. I'd say, I don't, I don't think I have any, I never worked with a female that I put on 200 grams of protein. Um, although you can't do it, it's not, it's not wrong. I just find that I can get away with less and then you get more carbs and, uh, and fats when you do it that way. So remember these, all these nutrients add up to calories. So you have to kind of manage your budget there and ask yourself, okay, you know, I mean, 300 grams of protein, that's not leaving me very many carbs because I'm trying to keep my calories at X level, you know? All oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. So yeah, about 150 to 250 for male, about 100 to 175 for female. Then for carbs, I typically go 250 to 350 for most men, you know, 18, okay. to, 40, 18 to 45, um, you know, and then I go about 150 to 250 for females. And that those ranges tend to work pretty well to start out. And then you just scale it from there. Sure. And then, then for fat, I'd say hundred grams or less for a male, 70 grams or less for a female. And, uh, that tends to be a good starting point. Um, and then again, you scale that up or down. So if you, you know, do that, you know, and you gain weight for like two or three weeks and your goal is to lose weight, then you want to scale it down. And I say two to three weeks because weight you gain in the first week is irrelevant to that could be water weight because you're eating low carb for too long. So first week it's tossed out. So after a couple of weeks, if you're kind of seeing a little bit of a trend in the wrong direction, then move it, move, move things one way. Then you just kind of prioritize those macros. So when you're, when you're um, a weight loss client, you're going to want to cut fat first, then carb, then protein. It's the kind of the opposite direction of that LP, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah you're a weight gain client, you typically want to add carb first, add or add protein first, add carb second, and then add fat last. Right. Um, so that, yeah, so those are the general guidelines that I recommend. Well, that seems extremely reasonable to me. And, uh, it, well, to, to, to us, because we're, you know, we're doing it and we're seeing it and, you know, people like us who are in the industry find it a little bit more feasible maybe to try to hit those targets. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're not in an industry and you're just starting out. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, someone in the general population in that healthy range that you or in that range that you were talking about, mm -hmm. what are maybe three things that you would recommend people start doing to take control? Let's say outside of hiring um, a nutrition coach. Cause mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I would say, broad spectrum. If you can, you can afford it. If things line up for you, if you really want to get serious and dig down, uh, hire a nutrition coach, just like you're hiring a strength coach. But, um, if you want to kind of handle it on your own a little bit, for whatever reason, what are a couple of things that you would recommend someone could do to, to jumpstart their own nutrition LP? Right, right, right. Um, I got a few ideas. So number one, um, get some protein powder 
you may not need it. You may or may not, but you're because yeah, most people are under eating protein. So just have it on you, have it available because okay. you're going to try and tweak that, right? Um, eat breakfast and try to eat a high protein breakfast. Start with that. You know, if you can tolerate dairy, yogurt is an easy way to eat and run out the door because one of the challenges I have with that first meal is people want to wake up and leave. And I, I right. Don't blame yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I understand that. So, you know, try to find quick, um, quick, easy to grab options. Another one that I like, I like the Quest protein chips. They're one of my favorites because you can still get a snack food and get 20 grams of protein out of it. Um, so just kind of researching those things, easy to grab items, uh, dehydrated meats are good, jer- you know, beef, jerky, turkey, jer- so many jerkies now. So I just call it dehydrated meats at this point. Cause there's yeah, so many different types, even vegan jerky at this point. So, um, no such thing, you know, you have that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's salty. Drink a lot of water, you know, you drink a lot of water. You don't hold as much water, but salt isn't going to impact your body fat. If you don't have any blood pressure concerns, then you should mm-hmm. be fine. Um, what else? Uh, yeah. So just easy to access protein is number one. So like you got a lot of yeah, protein bars and the ones that I like the best are the bear bells. They sell them at Trader Joe's love those. They taste like freaking candy bar and they're pretty macro friendly. Bear bells, Okay. Yeah. They're pretty good. And you know, Greek yogurt skier, you know, there's easy things to grab and eat when you're running out the door. If you have time, make yourself an omelet with vegetables. There you go. You get your protein in your vegetable. I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. Same exact breakfast. Yep. Um, and then just try to establish a routine. So like, I think about this, like I had a, I got a little puppy here. She's 18 months old. I trained her from age of, you know, two months. And, uh, one of the things I learned with dogs and that's kind of similar with us is they really need that structure. So like, you know, try to put yourself in a routine to the same thing every day. So you don't want to eat the exact same food every day, but try to stay in the same ballpark. For instance, you know, like you might have whole grain bread one day, you might have whole grain pasta one day, you might have oatmeal one day, you know, they're all kind of in that same ballpark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Establish some structure for yourself. You will go a long way. What I find that people struggle with the most is structuring their weekends when they don't have to go to work. Cause most people work at a certain time. They're up at a certain time. They're in the office at a certain time. They're home at a certain time. So there's like built-in structure that they didn't really have to put much thought into just by the, by, by design. Then when they're off, now they have to think about it. So try to structure your weekends, you know, even if it's very general, like, okay, I know I'm going to do something. I know I'm probably going to be away from the house from, you know, 11 to five, you know? So what are you going to do? You know, where are you going to get food? Start thinking about these questions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what? That kind of actually, that's where my biggest pitfall is, but it's not, it's not the opposite of, it's not because my eating goes to crap. It's because all, well, it's not the amount of food, the kind of food, I tend to eat, believe it or not, I eat less on the weekends because now I'm, because now like I'm not, when I'm at work, you know, gym life, you, I, I pack my lunch, mm-hmm. I pack, I pack two scoops, uh, uh, four scoops of protein. So I have mm-hmm. like, you know, one in the morning and then maybe one on the drive home just so I can get it in mm-hmm. but on the weekends. I'm done training early. So I don't have that scoop on the way to work or sorry, on the way home. And then I usually don't have like a PM snack. It, it's, mm-hmm. Like that's where I find my biggest pitfall. So you're right. Like establish a routine that can easily transfer like seamlessly, even if it's, even if it is like throwing something in your bag or making something, you have something, make sure you have something in your car, you know, just in case you're, you know, a little bit longer someplace you need to be. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, when I travel, I, no matter where I go in the country, I have a pretty solid routine of what I'm going to do. I'm typically going to find the nearest grocery store you know, get my fresh fruits, typically apples, berries, grapes, you know, whatever's yep. fresh at the time. Um, 
And then I'm going to grab some instant rice. I'm going to grab some instant mashed potatoes. I'll probably grab some yogurts, you know, maybe uh, some instant oatmeal or I'll get the old fashioned depending on how many days I'm away. And, uh, you know, I just do some grocery shopping and live off the hotel. If I don't, unless I do an Airbnb, then I can cook, you know, just also depends on how much time I have. But I typically hit the grocery store when I travel. It's like one of the first places I go and the things that I buy will depend on the nature of the trip. Right. Uh, If I'm going out to eat, I pretty much know that, okay, I'm going to assume that I'm getting all the carbs and fats that I need from that meal out. So I'll just pretty much go on a pseudo keto diet for the day. And then I'll go in there and, you know, order some things and eat them, pay attention to hunger cues, you know, some more yeah, other tips that I, you know, tend to give clients and uh, I tend to be okay. You know, I tend to not gain weight from that. Um, so if I'm driving on a road trip, I'll either bring food if I don't bring food, cause I'm running later, just want to hit the road at five in the morning. I know I'm going to stop at a gas station. I know I'm going to find some beef jerky. There's probably a subway or a Quiznos attached to, to one of them. You know, I'll probably go there and get a salad so I can get some vegetables and, uh, you know, I'll get a protein drink from the cooler. There's, you know, I know I'm going to find things at the gas station. And I know what aisles to go through. So again, sure. I have structure in a situation that to most people looks unstructured. It's just, but it's flexible. Kind of, like yeah. you're flexible still. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's right. the whole point. You could turn a situation that looks unexpected to a very predictable situation. If you just sit down and think about it. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So we've got uh, focus on the protein, mm-hmm. uh, build in structure and routine when, you know, for, for those times that you don't know when you're going to need it the most, mm-hmm. um, anything else that you'd throw in there to re- kind of round it out? Um, just stay away from rigid, very rigid that, rules, right? Actually. Yeah. The flexibility part was kind of, I, I think yeah. like, yeah, yeah the, the, the biggest thing, like, don't, yeah, don't, don't make it to where you can't enjoy life and you can't stick to something. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you got to go and eat donuts every week and push yourself over and, you know, it doesn't mean that, but you know, if you want to go get some, you know, when I, when I want something like that, so there's a, I had a donut phase and I lost weight eating donuts. So I just get the donut holes and I get a, you know, two of them. Cause I knew it was like 140 calories, you know, and I wouldn't eat them till I was in the car driving away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's a and good it, idea. Yeah, and it got me through, you know. So I drink coffee every day. I love I love coffee personally, and it kind of gives me some satisfaction yes. there. I try to so another thing too, if you're a weight loss client, one of the things that's most important, and you know, there's it comes back to a lot of this misinformation about diet is fruit. You know, the, I get a lot of people that are avoiding fruit, trying to ration the carbs for other things. And I find that eating fruit when you're cutting tends to work better than not because it satisfies that you know, desire for sweets because there is sugar in there. There's fructose right. in there. There's some sucrose in there, some natural sugars that occur in fruit. And I found that when I really wanted like a donut or a candy bar or chocolate or whatever, and if I ate like an apple, then like that kind of went away. You know, I just had to force myself to eat the apple depending on how bad the craving was. And uh, I just started eating berries and apples all the time when I was losing. And uh, it helped me not think about very, very concentrated sweets. So I think, and then they're also high in fiber too. So if it has skin, you should eat it. Right. So yeah, I think including fruit in the diet is huge just from a sweet tooth management standpoint. <laughs> I think so too. And then there are different, like you mentioned, like you know, the berries, the apples, you can kind of manage it. If you're, if you're in that situation where, you know, maybe sugar shouldn't be, uh, maybe should be, um, uh, managed a little bit more then you know, then you can kind of go down the hole of, uh, you know, eating berries and then kind of, cause berries are 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're moderately low in sugar for the most part. Yeah, they're low in sugar, they're high in fiber. Yeah, so then you can kind of work back way, backwards from there. But you know, I'm um, one last comment, and uh, I think we, we could we could wrap it up. But I actually had someone come in the other day, and I asked him because he's just getting started. He just he just hit hit he did his fifth workout today. Mm-hmm. So I asked him on um, a third appointment. I'm like, hey, so how much? Um, you know, what's your nutrition look like? How much? How much protein you eating? Like, oh, probably too much. And I was kind of like, oh, I've never heard that before. And I was like, really? Um, how much? He's like, oh man, probably, you know, 50, 60 pro, uh, grams of protein a day. And I'm like, you mean like per cert, like sitting? Like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, no, like per day. He's like, I just don't think we need as much protein as, as they, as like, people think we need. And he was like, you know, he's already coming in a little underweight. Um, so I, I was like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to cruise along. And then eventually we're going to hit a time where I'm going to have to really push like, Hey man, we need to start, you know, getting these calories in. So it's just, you know, the spectrum's all across the board, um, in terms of what people are reading and what people are thinking and, mm-hmm. and basic common sense. Um, there's just too much information. And, and I think having the conversation that you just put out there, um, and giving some very clear and easy to understand, not rigid, flexible guidelines is what we need to start talking about more often, especially with our clients who are coming in and maybe are, you know, are weak, are over cardioed and underfed under, you know, and are, are confused about what to do. So, um, Robert, I, I appreciate you jumping on today. If people have any more questions, comments, concerns, where's the best place to get a hold of you? Uh, my website is weightsandplates.com. I'm on Instagram at the underscore Robert underscore Santana. And uh, I'm also on startingstrength.com. And I'm a renaissance periodization diet and uh, strength coach. Awesome. So I would actually, the articles that we had mentioned about your protein, about some other articles, I want to get those from you so we can link them to the show notes. So everybody check those out in the show notes. Sure. And Robert, again, thank you very much, sir. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you.